You've been lied to, but you don't know how. You've searched, you've struggled, you've cried out. You want the truth, but where is it? You've wandered, you've fought, you've strived, and you have not been satisfied. What is truth? Where is truth? Who is truth? The kingdom of God, mind control, the last days, higher dimensions, unity, the power of faith, discovering the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God has promised that he will hide us under his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall is the premier program that is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is designed to show you how to become more than you have ever imagined through the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And now, prepare for your host, Dan Duvall. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This program is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is a production of Bride Ministries, and you can find us at www.bridemovement.com and also at www.thefireplacechurch.org. Folks, we are so excited that things are moving. And the fireplacechurch.org is now moving into its fourth week of operations. And we're just really happy. This thing is not going to be stopped and it's going to grow. And folks, we believe that it's going to be a blessing for the many of you that are not only looking to be equipped because you don't want the devil to step on you anymore, but you also want community that's like-minded. And we've built the platform. Folks, this church meets every Friday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And when you go to our website at thefireplacechurch.org, you will see worship, you will get solid equipping through teaching of the Word of God. And then you will move into internet-based discussion groups. And there have been a few glitches. That some of you have noticed the past few weeks. Uh, minor technical issues that we have identified and cleared up. Some of them presented after beta testing and uh, were just not in our direct control. But you know what? 
it's all been resolved at this point as far as we know we're moving forward nonetheless lives are already being blessed and and so we want to invite you to join us at thefireplacechurch.org every Friday, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We can't wait to see you there. And, you know, I, I want to say this. We are always grateful for you. I, I have one of the most amazing listening audiences. It, it's just so profound. You, you guys communicate so much positivity to us. It, it's just really refreshing. You guys have wonderful things to say, nice comments, encouragement. There's a lot of opposition to what we are doing, folks. Believe it or not, you, you can't see it, but um, it, it's there nonetheless. And and so I just want to say thank you to all of you that support us, that listen to us, and that financially support us. You know, when we got started with this project for the thefireplacechurch.org, it was nothing but a vision. It was a vision. It was an idea. It was a concept. And then it became an order. God said, build. And when I was told to build, I, God hadn't given me what I needed to build yet. He said, you're going to just build. And so looking at the bank account, looking at what it was going to cost and looking at everything else, I said, okay. And we just started, right? Well, guess what? You guys stepped up in such a major way. We not only built it, it's not only going and moving. Now, now we're going to be expanding the ministry in light of not only the growth that's coming in, but anticipated growth. Folks, it's just spectacular. You know, the Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And as we give, it shall be given unto us, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will God cause men to give into your bosom? And, you know, I just believe this, that for all of you that are financially supporting us, you know, God, God does say in his word, that there's a reward for that. And you know what? <laughs> in addition to that, I'm grateful. And, you know, there is a certainty that through what we have built with what you have given us, lives are being blessed, changed, and transformed. Folks, anyway, I, I, I just want to thank you for what you've given. And also for those of you that continue to give, because you know what? Now we're also going to be expanding. We're going to start helping more survivors now that the church has been built. I mean, there's going to be ongoing costs with the church, but we want to continue to expand in every direction. The, the kingdom of God has an expansion agenda. We're part of that. So um, as we increase the number of survivors of satanic ritual abuse and dissociative identity disorder that we are helping, as we expand the number of coaches we're bringing on board, all of that comes with an ongoing financial cost. And you know what? We're just thanking God for you. That is, I mean, we are partnering together. The word of the Lord is going forth. The kingdom work is being done. And it's not going to be stopped. Folks, I uh, want to say that discipleship has been awesome. We are running four groups right now. We have four classes, Grace in Christ, the Kingdom and Spiritual Warfare. If you want to, at some point, become a moderator with our e-church at thefireplacechurch.org, you will need to have completed at least one of the discipleship courses. So we plan to be adding moderators regularly as we anticipate lots and lots of growth in the e-church. So if you haven't signed up for a discipleship course, get on our discipleship course waiting list. How do I do that, Dan Duvall? Just go to our website, contact us, and say, please put me on the discipleship course waiting list. 
you'll be at it and you'll have an opportunity to sign up the next round of classes. But discipleship has been so exciting. It's life transforming. The testimonies that we get back from these are just phenomenal. And um, I just want to encourage you, you know, that's there for you. I don't want you losing the battle to the devil and neither does God. So he wants you equipped. He wants you to have a mentality that reflects his opinion of how he wants to do business. So we have that for you, folks. We also have an awesome guest today. We're going to be talking about the kingdom of God and love and governmental authority. Really cool subjects. You're going to be uh, moved, challenged by what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm excited to uh, bring back Paul Tothill from Australia. And I'm not going to go on any longer right now. Just say, you know, if you haven't caught my books, Kingdom Government and the Promise of Sheep Nations, uh, Noah's Ark at the End of Days, Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions, and the Spirit Realm, those are available. Folks, you're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall, and we'll be right back. talking on discovering the truth with Dan Duvall with our very special guest Paul Tothill and he's joined me once before it was a while back and he is a senior pastor of Gateway Church in Adelaide Australia the first time I had him on we had a, a conversation on deconstructing the reduced gospel and we just had a lot of fun if you have not heard that program you can find it in our archives and you will really have a good time, folks. It was just a powerful spirit-led program. And he's back today for some more. We're going to be getting into it on kingdom-centered subjects. His church can be found at gatewaychurch.org.au. That's gatewaychurch.org.au. And the cool thing about his website is that they post sermons. And you can watch his sermon archives and really be blessed by some outstanding teaching you'll find there and you know paul it's a pleasure and an honor to have you back on discovering the truth with dan duvall thank you daniel great to be with you again well you know i'm glad you're back and one of the things i love about you paul is that you really are pursuing the things of the kingdom you, you you're not looking at this christianity thing from the perspective of 
those that have gone before you necessarily. You, you are on a journey like me trying to follow the spirit of the Lord into the things God is taking his people into. And it's territory sometimes that makes people uncomfortable. But, you know, it, it really needs to be traversed nonetheless. And, and one of the things that we were yakking about before we jumped on this program to record is this subject of church government and how God has been shifting vantage points that you have on this subject. I mean, let's just start there. What has God been dealing with you on the subject of church government? Wow, uh, Daniel, it's such a, a, a massive journey and a massive subject. And uh, the first thing I want to, the first thing I want to say is, um, you know, I, I honor um, every forefather that has has carved out in faith something radical to to bring forward the kingdom of God. And um, I, I know that our destinies are joined. Hebrews twelve says that there's a cloud of witnesses. They're cheering us on to establish what they couldn't establish. And and to establish those things, there, there's increasing revelation. And and what we see is, is the Holy Spirit keeps speaking through the Scriptures. He Hebrews says that, that once he spoke by the prophets, but now he speaks by his Son. And uh, the covenant promise of the New Testament, uh, spoken in Jeremiah, fulfilled in Jesus, is that he will teach all of us. He will teach us by his Holy Spirit. He, he will, the living word will be revealed to us. We're not just chasing principles. We are about connecting to a person, the resurrected Christ, and his words of life flowing in us. And so what we love is we love the Logos. We love the framework of Scripture. But we understand the Scripture is like a door. It's like a treasure chest. And when we plunge into its depth with the Holy Spirit in an intimate relationship with Christ, things start getting revealed to, to our heart. And no eye has seen nor ear has heard those things. And so there's something fresh every time we navigate, not just um, in the sense of our personal development, but in church growth, in church development, until we reach the fullness of what Jesus said we can operate in, in Matthew 16. And in Matthew 16, Jesus said, of course, that the it was the revelation of him as the Messiah would become the foundation. And and our, my concern is, is that whole teaching of who Jesus was, what he did, what he stood for, what he modeled, um, historically has been reduced. Yet that's not what I see uh, in the early church, I see an explosion of revelation uh, coming from Jesus teaching himself. And of course, there's been a move, as I said before, the rediscovery of Jesus, the, the whole idea of understanding, have we missed something? We've looked at his death. We've looked at his resurrection. Um, we've looked at his birth, but have we looked at his life? And when we look at his life, we see something radical. We don't just see something radical for every single believer who continues to believe, we see something radical for how Jesus wants to build his church. So that's the journey um, I continue to be on. Um, and I'm just loving what God is doing around the world through so many uh, fivefold gifted ministers, uh, leaders of churches, prophets. There is something very exciting emerging. And as that emerges, I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking of the one thing that, that Jesus encountered himself when he was bringing the ch developing the church out of him, but taking it out of a religious model into an apostolic model. 
and and he he said the one thing to the to the religious leaders over and over again he said it's the traditions of man nullify the power of god <laughs> paul we're gonna have so much fun tonight you mentioned a few things that i really want to tap into you you touched on the cloud of witnesses now paul this is something that i love because no one wants to talk about this one for you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You, you know what a lot of people do with this one, Paul? They draw a painting on their wall, and they draw a bunch of funny faces with white garments looking down. And they're looking down at those no-good, low-down, worthless sinners saved by grace, begging God for a free ticket out of this mess because that's the blessed hope. Now, when you realize that the Bible actually says you are raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places, it makes you wonder if the cloud of witnesses are looking at you from a different angle. Oh, no, uh, yeah, so we've got to see contextually uh, what the, the author of Hebrews is writing and, and whether it's Paul or whether it's somebody else, it really doesn't matter. That's not the point of discussion. The point is that the writer of Hebrews was trying to convey a supernatural dimension and how the destiny of old Israel was joined with the reality of the church and that how from generation to generation there is a participation uh, between heaven and earth and that we are first spiritual beings and, and in Christ, it, this is so important. If, if you believe you are saved and now dust, living in the dust of the ground, covered in the blood, then all of your natural thought realm is going to be naturally orientated, not supernaturally orientated, mm. to bring something, that which is in the spirit realm, into the natural realm. That's the first thing. So you're, the way you think and the way you're going to approach the text is going to be shaped by your doctrine. But if we stand back from that doctrine and look at the text as it speaks to us, it couldn't be clearer that we have now come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Mm. We have now come to a heavenly tabernacle. The tabernacle that was once on earth is finished with Jesus. He puts an end to that system. He becomes the greater temple, if you will. And now in him, he opens up a new and living way, Hebrews says, in him to another realm that no church priesthood has ever operated in, yet the current priesthood is meant to operate in. And therefore, Jesus teaches and says, your whole, your whole way of seeing life now is from heaven to earth. That which is in heaven, bring it to earth. The way I read that very, very clearly is, is the way Paul teaches it. If we're seated and raised with Christ in heavenly realms, that's where all our blessing is. That's where it's already established. All of those things are already open and available to us in Christ. Then that must be where we bring our consciousness as we live in the world. So we live in the age to come, if you will, into the not yet, that which is in the spirit dimensions in heaven into the not yet of this world. And that's why we live between the now kingdom and the not yet manifestation of the kingdom on earth as it already is in heaven. So the cloud of witnesses are those that are joining with us in our prayers. They are spiritual there's a spiritual dimension, a spiritual realm of people who are watching us carry on the assignment they commenced. 
because we've got to see it as in the context of a meta-narrative. In other words, the overarching storyline that Jesus starts again when he goes into the heavenly realms. So the whole idea of the new creation is very important. Now there's one new man. And that one new man is created out of the side of Jesus in the same way that Eve was created out of the side of Adam. So we see a whole new creation realm opened up for us to have access to be redeemed by the blood of the land. That redemption must put us back into the same position relationally and spiritually that Adam experienced with Eve, with God, before the fall. That must mean also that the, the guarding of that portal realm, that realm that was closed off because of the fall, we now have access to the tree of life. We've been given eternal life. We've entered into eternal life now in a physical body. So we, are, we, we have to be reorientating our whole consciousness bringing our thoughts up to a new awareness of what is going on in the spirit realm that we can cause it to manifest in the natural realm. And that's the very idea of faith in Hebrews 11. <laughs> Paul, here's the thing. Philippians 3.20 says, For we are citizens in heaven, from which we await the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Joe Christian said, I'm dust under the devil's foot. Come on, Paul, what's going wrong there, man? Where's the well, break in logic? Well, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not aware that any apostle in, in, would walk with Jesus uh, understood the doctrine the way we've subsequently taught doctrine through through reform process. And... I'm not sure the early church understood it in those terms either. So we've got to understand the development of thought and the development of breakthrough that even the Reformation brought from the whole, I mean, we just got so grounded in the dirt, we, we, we just couldn't get out of it. You know, the whole Dark Ages, you've got to look at the church history, you've got to see what God was breaking through. But to stay in a reformed state as a development of restoring truth back to the body of Christ I think is problematic, especially where it keeps us disempowered and under a culture that the, that the cross itself brought us out of. See, if I have died to my natural fallen body, and that's my crucifixion in Christ, which was foreshadowed in Genesis, <laughs> the whole invitation was to live by faith. That means my old self died, that, 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 first Adam part of me is dead I'm born again I'm not tinkered with I'm a new creation Paul says in Christ Jesus everything is in Christ Jesus so his life flow is constantly towards me I'm raised with him scripture says that means not just my spirit man I can't get into the error of dualism and that's another problem we have we, 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 we not only dust, but we, we, we emerge into this Gnostic mysticism, which creates elitism in the body of Christ, which is, can I say, I think, error. But nothing new under the sun. The two paradigms of doctrinal error were alive and well in the apostolic times. 
Paul and the apostles were dealing with legalism, Judaism, high-level religion, and licentiousness through Gnostic thought, ideas of, of error, that once I'm perfect in my spirit, that's it. I can do whatever I like in the body. Well, that's clearly error as well. So we get this complicated picture that our humanity is both spiritual and natural. But in a fallenness, our consciousness of the spiritual has fallen in and been consumed by the natural. So therefore, we want to approach everything of the Word of God from a natural dimension rather than a spiritual dimension. And what does Paul say? He says, if, if, if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap from the flesh, and the flesh can't understand spiritual things. <laughs> so until we come to a spiritual consciousness in our approach to Scripture, in other words, we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us, which is the promise for every believer, then we will follow a tradition of man, a tradition of historical revelation that is part but not completely what God wants to reveal to us through what God has already stated in his word. Man, what does this do to the conversation of church government? Well, it, it looks it looks really radically different. Mm -hmm. And where, 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 we, where we lean, and it's historically what we love to do, is, is we lean between the merging of two covenant administrations. And we, we, we merge the covenant administration, which was a parenthesis, added, if you will, from Moses until Jesus, the administration of the law and the administration of the temple and the priesthood in that order. Now, Jesus clearly is speaking about putting an end to that. That was pointing to someone and something greater. Jesus said that in the Gospels. So when the greater comes, the lesser is now no longer required. That's what Hebrews talks about. I believe Somehow, Sorry. I believe the turn is waxing old and ready to vanish away. Yeah. Now, the Hebrews writing is leading up to the destruction of the temple. Mm -hmm. We spoke about that uh, in Matthew. He, he spoke about it to the disciples. He he said there's going to become a reality. How will you know when you've come in? Well, this old system is going to be completely demolished. And it was, 70 AD. The old system is completely demolished, which means that there's only one administration and one priesthood <laughs> that is of the new order, which is of the Jesus order in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Moses and Aaron. Someone greater than Moses has come. So Jesus had the wonderful responsibility of correcting the teachers of the day in their misapplication of the law of Moses, taught them properly around the law of Moses, but also introduced the kingdom that was to come. And so then his last words to the apostolic fathers before they became the leaders of the church is fundamentally crucial, and he sets it up at the Passover. And what he sets up at the Passover is the most profound, offensive teaching that Peter couldn't bear it. He didn't know how to handle the truth that Jesus was demonstrating and that he would then teach. And we see, don't we, in, in John 13, which sets up a teaching, John 14 to John 17, is basically the wineskin of the new apostolic ministry for the church fathers to establish 
a governmental wineskin that's going to cause heaven to touch earth. The key is that you cannot approach that new wineskin with the structure and the structural constraints of the old wineskin because Jesus said, I can't pour the new wine into the old wineskin. This is the thing, Paul. What people have failed to understand, in my perspective, is that we can't divorce what we do on earth from what God is doing in heaven. Absolutely. I mean, because this is what the church does. It says, well, we wrote a list of rules, and we came up with a way to do what we think we're supposed to be doing without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So they follow their list of rules. They got their structure worked out. And they think that, you know, as long as we can perpetuate the system, we're doing the Lord's work. But really... In this age, it's like God is saying, no, 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 no. See, I have a government that proceeds forth from my throne, which is in heaven, and is designed to influence the earth through man, whom I ordain and appoint and release from my throne in heaven. It's this marriage. We've got to ask ourselves, has the assignment changed for humanity since... Humanity was created in God's image and likeness and given a commission. Mm. Has God changed the commission? Has the plan been fulfilled? The answer is no. So when you go back and understand what it is to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, then when, when, when Jesus comes and he wins back what Adam lost and he recommissions the apostles and the church, it is the same assignment that Adam and Eve had in the garden the assignment has not changed the same rule of first mention flows into what jesus is saying except the way in which it's going to be fulfilled is now in christ now through the gift of the holy spirit dwelling in man which creates the union the abiding presence of god that we may walk in the cool of the evening without interruption in the presence of god why because the blood of jesus opened a new and living way Mm-mm-mm. That means I have permanent, ongoing access as a habitation to the spiritual dimensions without interruption. Paul, we're walking blind. Here's what the Bible says. Hebrews 6, 4 and 5. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. This is all past tense act. He's referencing the first church walking in something called the powers of the age to come. Paul, what what are we missing about this statement? We're uncomfortable experientially with that idea because what we tend to do is we reduce our doctrine to our present experience. Instead of lifting our doctrine to the word of God, (laughs) <laughs> and the potential of experience and so there's a complicated idea about how we interpret scripture and therefore how experiences flow but it, it, it would seem to me what's happening more and more is, is is God is desperately trying to get our attention through the work of the Holy Spirit and, and let me say this if, if we don't have the presence of God and, and, and we're responding to the presence of God within us and the presence of God building the church and the presence of God brings the headship of Christ into the church. 
then we have to ask ourselves by what spirit and by what means are we building the church that Jesus is meant to be building? It's a question. Because this, I believe this is going to become discovered. I believe um, God is going to start putting his finger on these things for the good of the body to move in the kind of spiritual authority, dominion, power, and supernatural power that's going to be needed for these dark days. And Paul, the promises are so phenomenal. I was reading Deuteronomy 28 the other day when God's talking to the Israelites and he's saying, if you obey my laws and commands, these are all the things that are going to come upon you. One of the first things God says is that he says, I will set you high above the nations of the earth. He said, partnering with me and my realm will be so powerful. You will be set high above the nations of the earth. You're going to do that by obeying the law. The interesting thing I ran into, Paul, is that when I got in the book of Revelation and I was reading the promises to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, one of those promises actually said to him who overcomes, I will give him power. I think I'm going to double check the word, but I think it was either power or authority over the nations of the earth. I believe so. Um, man, I had to meditate about that for a while, Paul, because this idea that the kingdom, this partnership with heaven is real, really changes the limitations we impose upon ourselves. And a lot of Christians think, well, you know, we can never be more influential than or we can never go further than, and, and we draw these artificial boundary lines. But it's like these artificial boundary lines weren't even on the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and we have a better covenant based on better promises. Yeah. What are the limits on the operational capacity of a group of people that have been situated in heaven and have access to powers of the age to come? once they fully identified with the finished work of Jesus Christ. Correct. So we have, to, we have to understand, we have to start at the cross and say, did Jesus stay at the cross or did he, did he create the cross as a point where we in him, is the mm. phrase that's used all through the New Testament, in him come with him, joined with him in death, that we may be joined with him in resurrection. The resurrection life is the age to come life we live now into the not yet of this present age. We live in the future reality into a present age. And, and because we're meant to be above this age, we're meant to be have a promise, a favor, a realm, a relationship that causes our faith to, to bring us into a place of overcoming. The problem is we live in spiritual dimensions and there's not only one set of spiritual forces that are operating. And those spiritual forces operate in the minds and the hearts of man. Just in the way that we're meant to carry the presence of God and we're meant to bring our consciousness to a certain place. Our, when we reinforce traditions at the expense of revelation, we repeat 
what every other generation hadn't yet come into. So we keep, our, our desire is to put it off to another time. So our tendency is to put it off, that kingdom, any idea of the kingdom is put off to another time. <laughs> In other words, we become futurists, if you will, to that extent. And when we, when we think like that, we deny the grace and supernatural abilities of what already is in heaven, which are ours in Christ, and we put them off to another time as well. Wow. We disassociate, if you will. It's called cognitive dissonance. Paul, when I paint the wall green and I say, look at my red wall, long enough people start calling green red. It's crazy. But then I take the New Testament and I say, you're a no-good, low-down, worthless sinner saved by grace. The best you can do is warm that pew until Jesus comes back and saves your life. If he doesn't strike you with a lightning bolt first. And I mean, this, this is real cognitive dissonance, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I, look, I, 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 never, I never want to, I, I don't know what is in the heart of man, and that's not for me to determine and it's not my place to to determine what god has to determine with leaders but it seems to me um that, that we have to ask ourselves some questions mm -hmm. we i think every leader has a responsibility first and foremost to walk in christ every everyone that carries church government your first responsibility is to be a son of god you to to have that relationship in the heart of god it, it, because it's out of there that everything flows for the context of the people God has called you to be a trustee towards because it's his church, not our church. It's the first thing. The second thing is that Jesus clearly establishes a model in John 13 and uh, uh, which the apostles were to reproduce. And this was not an idea of government was over to restrict, but a government was under to serve. And even that idea of serving has been manipulated both ends, one by the people and sometimes by leaders. And and the idea that that, that a leader now becomes just your wet nurse or, or, or just to serve you in, in all of your fantasies is not right either. But that's, so what happens in these truths is, is another spirit trades. And what I've established about truth, it has to be carried with a heart of love. It has to be carried with the Holy Spirit. Because I've learned through the scriptures that even Satan will use God's truth, but with a different heart, moving by a different spirit for another end, subtly to deceive. Oh, wow. Satan will use God's truth from a different heart to deceive. Correct. Yeah. My. That's deep. Paul, let me ask you a question. How have you seen that one play out experientially? Whew. Um, look, every, every believer has come out of the world. And in the world, we carry love wounds. We, we, we carry an orphan spirit. We've been separated from the love of God. Uh, and we're born again. And, and this is where the idea of dualism is problematic. In dualism, if, if, if we say... I'm born again, my spirit's perfect, I'm perfect on, as it is in heaven, then we forget about the whole idea of this transformation process, which Paul talks about, 
through the changing of our mind, no longer remaining in the futility of our thinking. So the key here is when we're in the world, we have a particular way of thinking that is inconsistent with the ways of God. That thinking is a gate. That thinking is in the realm of our soul. And what happens is as life unfolds, as I'm developing in Christ, God will allow the foundations of the world I've been in, which are impressed upon my heart and my, if you will, my neuropathways. And he allows them to flush up because they're a wrong foundation that keep me lowered in consciousness and response and inconsistent with the way of love, truth and life. So when we are insecure as leaders, we will create without often knowing it, unwillingly even, to the idea of any hurts or wounds. And when things don't go right, we, we, we open a gate to another realm to say, hey, just do it your way. It's okay. Just worry more about this. Just worry more about that. And before we know it, we've become more carnal than spiritual. We've become, we've allowed our orphanness, our disconnection, if you will, with God, or we've allowed the hurt or the wound to become the grounding for which we think we're processing truth. Now, David in Psalm 139 has an amazing prayer. The first thing of 139, he says, wow, I am so amazingly made. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I've got this destiny You've got more thoughts towards me. Wow, I want to bring my heart into every thought you have towards me. But hang on a second. I've got some opponents, and we got to deal with them. And then I've got some issues of the heart, which I need to deal with. So God, search my heart. Let me understand. See, if God knows all my thoughts, then how do I know his thoughts towards me? If I've got stuff in my heart that I don't recognize, and this is what I believe David's saying at the end of Psalm 139, then he's saying, hey, test me in these. Flush it up. Let me see what's really going on in my heart. Then he says, hey, I'm going to give you all of my anxiety. Sounds a lot like 1 Peter 5. And then he says, deal with my hurt. Why? So I may walk in the ways of everlasting. So I can get the truth of what you really think in me. In other words, sanctification is the restoration of the soul that allows me to come in perfect alignment, not only with my spirit, but also with heaven. It's in that place that I can now properly hear, interpret, have a state of heightened consciousness in the spirit realm. And God is leading me there all the time. Why? Because love and truth work together. Yes, they do. You know, it's so a, it's that mm-hmm. intimacy that's so important. You know, Paul, it's the wisdom of God to put his kingdom into the hearts of believers. 100%. The amazing thing is that if our hearts aren't right, we can't see God's kingdom. It's it's just amazing. You know, I did a a word study on a heart. You know what I found? That the Bible actually says of David and King Asa, they had perfect hearts. It's amazing. You can't be morally perfect. It's only Jesus. 
there's something known as a perfect heart. And I ask myself, what is that? I believe that it's a heart that sees God and sees his kingdom. Yeah. Well, that, that, that the people of faith, Hebrews 11, is they saw a city. They saw something beyond what they were in, and they longed for it. Their affection was drawn toward. Their heart was drawn towards it. Mm. So, and 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 so, the idea of 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 a perfect heart, I believe, uh, when when God asks Abraham to walk before him, he says, "Walk before me blamelessly." That's not legalistically. That mm. means mm. keeping mm. your affections towards me, keeping in the realm of faith with me. Because were there stumbles and were there mistakes? Of course. Was that true with David? Of course. Only one perfect man on the whole history that we see uh, in the scriptures, and that's Jesus. But he's showing us what a pure heart can establish on earth. He's showing us the power of the redeeming work of Jesus, not just to, for us to be born again, but for our whole life to be transformed, to manifest something we thought was not even possible. Now, let me ask you this question, Paul. How has the work of God in your heart caused you to manifest some things in your life that you may not have thought were possible before? Well, the first thing uh, I want to say to answer that is what I realize more and more is that we, whilst we talk about the love of God, I don't think we have a real understanding of what that actually looks like and its genuine, unconditional nature. And when you start to come into an understanding of the love of God, the divine love of God, the unconditional nature of that, that love, that then becomes the framework and alignment for every other expression of love, the phileo love and all of those sorts of things, storge love, then what you realize is, is first of all, we build relationships conditionally through conditional love. In other words, I'll connect with you if you look a lot like me. I'll connect with you as long as you're doing things to please me. And so what we start to build is around an agreement rather than a relationship. If we don't agree on truth, then we can't walk together. But that's not the whole idea of unity in Christ. The whole idea of unity in Christ is we both we both recognize we're in Christ, one, spiritually, two, that we have the love of God flowing towards us that then must flow towards others what stops that flow is what's in my heart as i open up my heart to the love of god and i practice i defeat the realm of fear to come into freedom in that place of freedom where the spirit moves and can be himself where god can be himself in me and i can be who i truly am in god that level of union manifests an ability to see and hear not only God differently, but to see and hear people differently. So what starts to happen is that you build a life flow of the spirit that looks different. So Jesus was when he was with the crowd, he said he refused to give himself to them because he knew what was in their heart. What starts to happen as you move in the way of love, unconditional love, is spiritual sensitivities start to become awakened. And, and, and the prophetic realm and the revelatory realm starts to open up in a more profound way because it's the issues of the soul or the issues of the heart that act like veils that, that, that filter our ability to see and hear God. 
it not only diverts it, not only creates like a lens, but it also actually can block us from hearing. It, it, and, and that's the trading floor that the enemy wants. And that's where he wants to bring his lie. He wants to bring the perversion of God's truth into our heart. What I've seen then, as, as you, you move in a, in, a, in a realm where you want a purity of that level, you want a purity of your heart, you become empowered in another level of freedom where you're able to go low in a situation rather than trying to come across in a situation. And so this is what we see. I keep wanting to get back to this for some reason is, is John 13. Jesus says, I'll wash the feet of my disciples. So, so you've, got to, you've got to understand this. There was no model of this kingship on the planet. The religious leaders didn't model this. The nation, the national leaders in, in the world, the Pharaoh and, and all the other ideas of kingship did not model this. But here's Jesus saying, if you want to be a king, if you want to carry government, if you want to carry spiritual authority, then you have to think like a servant. You have to this... become like a servant to carry kingly authority. So I serve with the heart of a king, but I rule with the heart of a servant. It's a complete paradigm shift of the structure and hierarchies that religion builds and the world builds. But question, where do we see that being outworked in the church? Well, Paul, I think that's the whole thing, though. Because God is trying to move a government in to the manifestation of man from his realm, where all of this exists and abides as the rule. That's right. You know, one of the biggest revelations that I had is that kingdom is a society and it has a culture. I like to point out worship as one of the elements of that culture. I think what you're nailing right here is another element of that culture. Exactly what Jesus was. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, again, I'm just going to come back here. John. So we're back at John 13. Yeah. John 13. Okay. I want to watch out of what you just said, because I think it's so key. Mm hmm. If, if Jesus could say in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, then my next question is who defines everything in the kingdom realm? Is it not the Father? Then what Jesus lived on earth was the culture of heaven carrying the government and power of heaven. Therefore, what he teaches us to be ambassadors of heaven, you can't be an ambassador of a place you've never been or you've never experienced, or you don't even know what it looks like. So Jesus is giving us a massive insight. He's saying, I will show you what heaven looks like in perfect man through the Holy Spirit, that you may walk out of intimacy with the Father just like I did. So that's why I'm going to redeem you back to the heart of the Father. Why? That you may know him like I know him. That's the first point. We The whole idea of this relationship is that I may know him who God who in Jesus Christ 
through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. My first point of pursuit is Him. When that pursuit opens up in my heart, it's amazing what else opens up in my life. That's the key. The key is my, prior my priority and my pursuit. If I go after realms, if I go after wisdom, if I go after anything outside of that first pursuit, I am vulnerable to error. If I pursue him wholeheartedly, so what's the first, what is the first command? So Jesus said, we know there's 613 mitzvot or commands under the Torah. We know they come to 10 under Moses. But Jesus says, hey, listen, I'll tell you what it's all about. You love the Lord your God with all that you are. Then from that, you overflow and love one another. And that's the wineskin to produce the culture, power, and government of heaven. Amen, brother. That's the wineskin. And so the koinonia, the depth of the koinonia, establishes the governmental realm of the ecclesia. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, man. We love God and receive his love and love one another is the measure of the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth that we can ascend together in governmental authority to shift cities and nations. Because we were designed under Isaiah 61 to do just that. We're to, we're to be restorers. But you have to be an ambassador from heaven. Jesus taught this over and over and over. And somehow it hasn't seemed to be important to us. One of the things that God pointed out to me is that it is possible to be compelled by love. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, I am compelled by the love of God. In another place, it actually says, faith working through love. Yep. What is faith working through love in your perspective? In my perspective, faith, well, first of all, faith faith is a substance and, it, and it's, and it's it's not of what I see. So to have faith in anything, I have to have faith in something I can't see, but I know to be true. A conviction of things or the assurance of things that I haven't yet seen. So it's fundamentally an expression of an unseen dimension. Faith is always the expression of an unseen dimension or an unseen reality. The second thing is that it is faith expressing itself as love. It means I'm so connected in my oneness in my consciousness with the reality of who God is and who I am in God, love cannot help but overflow out of my life because it's the very nature of God. So let's go back to John 15. Again, we're in a process of apostolic teaching, John 13, John 14. No one knows the Father like the Son. I'm going to give you peace. John 15, I'm going to tell you how this works. I'm the true vine. You're the branches. The Father tends the branches. I don't. I provide the life to the branches that they may bear fruit. What fruit was Jesus looking for? My life in someone. It looks like love. How are they going to know you are my disciple? Because of the signs, wonders, and miracles and powers? Realms you move in? No. You're going to manifest my life, and it looks like unconditional love. Now, I, I, I want to tell you that's spiritual maturity. That kind of spiritual maturity unconditional love operates 
because that unconditional love, it drives out any fear in my life. As I give expression to that love, it pushes back fear. Fear and lies are the tools and the elements of the kingdom of darkness around me, the prince of the air. So when I move in the way of love and faith, I'm moving from a higher dimension into a lower dimension. I'm carrying a higher authority into a lower authority. And everywhere love and truth and life comes, it disperses and breaks open the darkness. It's a governmental realm and a relational reality. Now, Paul, I'm going to come back to this. That is awesome. How have you seen this in your life and ministry? Like, you know, because people are going to listen to you and they say, wow, governmental this and realms. And, wow. And, you know, I talk about realms too. How have you seen this? Like, you know, there it is. Boots on the ground. These concepts are revolutionizing what you do, how you flow as a leader and so on and so forth. Yeah, I, look, absolutely. And, and what, what it starts to do is if, if, you, if you start to recognize this, it means the way you're going to deal with people around you looks differently. That's fundamental. If, if you're going to build a koinonia, a wineskin of relationship, it can't look like we're working at a distance from each other. And what happens is as, as you build in your leadership team, you, you teach people to become self-aware, self-governing and responsible. You empower them to live in the spirit of Christ. You're not over them. You're alongside of them. You're under them. You're lifting them up to Jesus, just what Paul said in Ephesians 4.11. So what's happening is your whole approach to the dynamic of relationship looks different. It's not getting you serving me. It's me serving you to bring you connected to Jesus, to bring the best out in you because you need to be the best you in the context of being in Christ. Why? Because God's got a purpose. He's got an assignment. He's got something that you need to develop that makes the whole kingdom reality manifest. But if I can't empower you, then you're not going to come into maturity. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the goal of the church? Is Jesus coming for an immature church that's really big and prosperous? Or is he coming for a mature bride that knows how to carry governmental realms? that knows how to have relationship with one another, that knows how to be generous with one another, that knows how to serve one another, that knows how to be practical with one another, but also spiritual with one another. And that's what that transition is uncomfortable, but necessary. And so what we've seen as we've moved from the revelation that, hey, I thought I was moving in, in love, but actually I'm moving in conditional love, then I carry the responsibility to acknowledge what's in my heart then I push back into God and say that the only life flow that I can have to establish these kinds of powerful relationships is in Him. So I have a responsibility to strengthen myself to keep my connection, and my encouragement is to everyone to get connected to Christ, not connected to a structure, not connected to a program. I don't want to put the end result, the fruit, before the connection. Why? Because Jesus said, you're a branch in a vine. You've got it, that connection. And he talks about how we lose that connection, and it's in the mind. It's a place of consciousness. It's, it, it's in the, in the affection. He'll never leave us, but we leave him. We create a disconnect on the life flow, although we may be still in him, although he may be still present, 
we lose the disconnection. So it's continually reminding ourselves of the life flow and the connection that supernaturally forges relationships that look impossible in the natural. So I look to forgive rather than hold a grudge. Amen. I look, that's, that's, look, the body of Christ is hurt mm-hmm. because we've lived in the world and we've been, and unfortunately we've hurt each other. And until we come to a recognition that we're hurting each other the way we're building, um, we're just going to keep hurting each other. Hurt people hurt people. And so if, if we're a bunch of people that are being redeemed and restored, we've got to know what that journey looks like from God's point of view to carry his heart or how he restores us. And, and I think it looks radically different because God's, God can't restore us outside of a love connection. That's powerful. Brother, that is powerful. And, and you... that's what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so what I see very practically is as we step into this, the junk in me has to start coming up. But that's very uncomfortable. But necessary. Fundamentally necessary. And, 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 and 1 Peter, have a look at 1 Peter 5. Read it. And it's just profound. You got to read it. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And he, he, he loves us more than we can ever imagine. Because we've seen no perfect example of this kind of love in humanity, except Jesus himself. Then it goes on. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Don't be consumed, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Where does he trade? On all of our love wounds, on all of our hurts on all of our disappointments, everywhere we allow the soul gate to be open where the self-life manifests, he's ready to devour us. What's the solution? Turn and face God and love him, praise him, worship him, cast all of those fears, cast all of those anxieties upon him. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Now, I know Peter's talking to a context of persecution at the time, but it's a valuable truism. I don't see anyone in the Bible that went from one degree of spiritual authority and destiny to another, rising always after every overcoming trial. To he who overcomes, I'll give. You've got to learn how to carry a level of government, love and life at one realm to be able to then cause it to overcome by the grace of God into a higher realm. It's a bit like it, a computer game. It's a bit like a computer mm-hmm. game. When you're, when you're on one level, there are certain events and certain things you have to defeat to be able to go to the next level. But the next level is like a portal. It brings you up into another person, dimension of who you are, the government authority and the realm God's given you, and it's all outworking itself by the love of God, and I come up into the next phase, that realm looks completely different than the lower realm. I'm navigating things in a whole new way because I learned from the previous realm. See, the Bible is very clear that to whom much is given, much is required. 
it's also very clear that he who is faithful in little will be faithful with much. See, it's like God can't give the church much because we haven't been faithful with little. Oh, my. And you're talking about a lot because you're talking about maturity into Christ's revelation of love. Have you ever noticed if, 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 if the spiritual forces of darkness can, can breach a relationship, it can destroy a church? Then, 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 then look what Peter finishes off with. So first thing we know in verse 9 of 1 Peter 5 is that everyone's gone through it. It's not just peculiar to you. So we've got to shift a consciousness of saying, like Joseph could say, God meant it for good. He had to increase and overcome so he could fulfill a destiny, carry a government with the right heart to do what God assigned him to do. He couldn't do that when he started the journey. After you've been suffered for a little while, the grace of, sorry, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We've got to go through stuff to get rid of stuff to learn how to carry the kingdom. We've got to learn to divorce ourselves from the kingdom we've lived under, which is the spirit of the air, which is a fallen world. Paul says that's the pattern of the world. You've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But in that transformation, there's going to be some, some testings. There are going to be some times you're going to have to learn how to carry what you've got in one level to come into the next level, trusting God that he will exalt you at the right time. And in that process, he's going to perfect you. Think of that. He's going to perfect you. He's going to establish you. He, he, see, God is moving towards what he already sees as finished. Predestination is an invitation, not a conclusion. I have to bring my heart to God's intention towards me. And as I do that, it might look like some things are breaking loose. But God will use darkness to sustain us and develop us in light. If we know what we're doing. Amen. So there's this amazing, amazing journey that the church is in right now. And there's a wrestling in the spirit realm. God's wrestling for his church. Because he knows he needs to establish his church to fulfill his redemptive narrative. He hasn't chosen another vehicle. He hasn't chosen another people. He's chosen those who are in Christ. He's chosen us. Brother. Yep. Yeah. Chosen <laughs> people I'm telling you what what does this do to your understanding of responsibility my responsibility then well to whom much is given much is required that's hey yeah that's right <laughs> second, the second thing is that we you really as a leader I think you've got to be self-assessing and start getting honest Mm -hmm. with what is really transacting in your heart um, and what you're really leaning to. I, I, first of all, am I living in Christ? Because that is the fundamental that, that, that Jesus told 
the apostolic fathers in John 15. There is no other place, other life flow. And we see it all through the Old Testament, but Jesus repeats it in John 15. The next thing I need to know is, am I genuinely walking by the Spirit of God or am I walking by another spirit or some other idea? And that means I have to come into a place of, of, of time, intimacy, and sensitivity. I have to be willing to shift my consciousness and that level of consciousness and revelation may confront some of my old thinking. And, and, and this was my own journey in 2007 when we went to a, a meeting where certain ministers were ministering. And 2007 was very significant in the life of our church. It was very significant in various parts of the world. There was something of an awakening. But I started to come into encounters that so smashed my present grid of understanding that you know, it couldn't, I couldn't, I had to be a God encounter. It just, my grid didn't transform. It got smashed. It got destroyed by an experiential encounter with the Holy Spirit. And what the Lord was able to graciously show me was that, that although I wanted certain things, I wanted to pursue these things, I longed for these things deep in my heart, there was a level of consciousness, or if you will, a framework of thinking that was inconsistent with the desires of my heart, but I didn't know that it was in that I was doing that. And so the first encounter that I had was the Holy Spirit came on me. God was moving, manifestations were taking place in this meeting, and people were doing unusual things. Now the words that came up to me in my mind was a previous leader that said, You've got to be careful of those things. So now fear comes in to my heart, not love. That's the first thing. So the Holy Spirit, I made a, a comment under my breath that this can't be God. Why? Not because of any revelation, but because of A, fear, and what I'd been previously taught by someone else that didn't understand the experiences of their generation. That was transposed to my thinking. Here's what we've got to understand. As leaders, when we talk... What we don't understand, we don't have permission to infect another generation because of fear. In love, we have to remain silent until we gain understanding. Because what we don't understand, we fear. And what happens is we then project a limitation or, if you will, a paralysis into the next generation because we're going to honor what we've been told by those who carry authority, not having an understanding of our own. That's how it works. What happened was the Lord convicted me and said, you're a Pharisee. Now, you imagine that. I thought I was the freest guy in the church. And I was a Pharisee. The next night, it was a pro another process, another set of events. And, and the Lord told me about the pride that was in my heart. So through, through, through what I learned was the spirit of religion and the spirit of pride were very instrumental in locking me out for the very things I wanted to come into. Hence, humble yourself. So in that place of humility, I went into a week of encounters where God started showing me things, having visitations, all kinds of things that were off the charts. What had to shift was my heart to open up a room for me to encounter. Yep. Brother, that is awesome. And, you know, I, I really want to take this back now because we've been talking about transitioning the operations of the church and man it's just beautiful because tonight we are hitting love and that is 
Well, I don't know if there is a more central message in Christianity. And we're talking about also marrying realms, how God is marrying his realm to ours through relationship, through what God did with us positionally in Christ Jesus. And then we run across this passage in the Bible, which is rendered best, I think, in the Amplified Translation. It says, whatever you bind on earth must be that which is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth must be that which is already loosed in heaven. Now, God's been dealing with you on a few things regarding binding and loosing. Why don't you talk to us about that for a little bit? Sure. The, the first thing we, we understand is, is this is uh, an authority key that, that God has given us. We know that uh, Isaiah 22, I think it's Isaiah 22, 22, there is the idea of the key of David uh, that was given temporarily. But here we have a, a permanent key because of what Jesus has done. That's the first thing. So it, we've got to locate it in a context of what we're actually meant to walk in as a church carrying spiritual government to be able to open and close um, on earth that which is already open and all that which is already closed. So we have to start to understand what is already open. And I, I, what stuns me is, is most of the church doesn't know what's already established in the heavenly realms and is open to them. So Paul talks about this very, very clearly. We know, first of all, that, that what is open to us is everything that's been won at the cross. Everything that's been won at the cross. So therefore, every promise in Christ Jesus is yes, it's open to us. Every promise is now. It's presently available. Every blessing is now open and presently available. I am, Hebrew says, perfect before God, even as if I'm being made perfect before man. So I'm, I'm perfect before God, being made perfect in the outworking of that perfection, if you will. So that is open to me. The Spirit cries, Abba, Father, to bring a witness of who I am and what's open to me before the Father. So I am a son. Yes, I'm growing in my maturity. I'm a, I start as a technon and I want to be a huios, if that's the correct pronunciation of the Greek. But I'm going to be a mature son. Why? Because mature sonship will carry the mature reality of the kingdom unto earth, even as Jesus did. This is my son, my mature son, age of 30, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't started his governmental ministry. He had grown in stature with God and with man. He had a season of living in a household, of learning how to be a son in the natural, studying the scriptures, sitting in the temple courts, understanding the scriptures, who he was. Mm. He had mm. to grow. Mm. Because, mm. because Isaiah prophecy said, to us, a, to, to us, a child is born, but a son, mature son, is given. There had to be a journey of development for Jesus. That means there's got to be a journey of development for you and I. We don't automatically become mature. Part of the maturity process, part of the maturity process is I need relationship with God and one another. I need to grow in stature with God and with man. That's a part of a maturing process. So when you, when you get to a point where now this revelation is being released by Jesus uh, to Peter, Peter, of course, gets a revelation from God. It's not from man. And I'm reading from the Passion Version. It says this, You are favored and privileged, Simeon, son of Jonah, for you didn't discover this on your own. 
but my Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I'll give you the name. Peter, a stone. Now, we know that Peter's name, when, when Jesus found him, he spoke destiny to him. <laughs> he said, hey, Simon, which means read, you become a rock. That which is all over the place, you, you bend and bow. And we saw that when he denied Jesus, John 13. He, you're going to become a rock. So there has to be a transition of us wavering to become grounded in something, to be established in something. And we, we, we do that through a destiny that God speaks into our heart when we're born again. And the whole idea is that we become mature believers with a destiny, with a governmental ability according to the sphere or metron God's given us, but to work together to shift the spiritual landscape and therefore the restoring landscape of any region, any life. We're called to be restorers and, and, and redeemers. We're called to be ambassadors from heaven. So we move on. And it comes like this. It says, I give you the name Peter of Stone, and this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation. The truth of who Jesus is as the Redeemer, Messiah, King is massive from a Jewish cultural perspective, which the Western church has largely, largely lost sight of in its commentary. When you understand what it means that the, the Redeemer King has come for his bride, has come now, he has come with a kingdom. That was the confusion around the disciples that, hey, you got your kingdom. What are we going to do? We're going to overthrow Caesar. And the, and the apostles said, hey, I want to be there when you come in, when we're all sitting in the palace and Caesar's been overthrown. Uh, you know, Mrs. Zebedee's there. My boys need to be with you, Jesus. Jesus said, yeah, sure, you want to talk about greatness, then learn how to become the servant of all. You want to carry higher realms of spiritual authority? It's You've got to get this revelation into your heart, and then you've got to change your heart and how you approach life. It's radical. It looks completely different than what we've ever known. And then he says this, and, and, and on this truth of who he is, I will build my church, my church, legislative assembly. That's that's the ecclesia. That is the spiritual community that is seated in Christ in heaven, operating through a wineskin of koinonia relationship on earth, but carrying higher and higher spiritual dimensions of governmental authority as it comes into maturity. Jesus is the prototype for the church. We carry his DNA. He's the model. He's the example of what we're to come into. And greater works shall you do. Why? Because I'm going to go to the Father. So we see in the early church, the shadow, what overshadowed them was healing people in the street. There was a governmental realm, not just an anointing. Make sense? And so then we see the power of death. I will build my church, the legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth, which has been forbidden in heaven. What's been forbidden in heaven? Anything that's not in the culture of heaven. Hmm. Anything that's not love. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Truth, life. So sickness, disease, poverty, and the list goes on. Mm-hmm. Lies, deception, all of that. That's no part of the kingdom realm. It's well, it's not. It's just not. It's not. So we got all this. Paul, we're going to come back one minute and go to where we started. But aren't we just no good, low down, worthless sinners saved by grace? No way. I've been lifted <laughs> from the church through the blood of Jesus. I my life supernaturally has been joined with him when i died with him in that baptism of death i came up a new creation in christ jesus where my life flow is now connected in him to the very heart of the father my perspective now is not what's happening on earth alone my perspective is what is happening in heaven what is presently now available to manifest on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus told us to pray. My citizenship is no longer on earth. My citizenship, where I truly belong, where I'm truly myself, where I'm truly resourced, where my where my heart really is, is in the heart of the Father in heavenly realms, manifesting inside out through the Holy Spirit into the world around me. That's what I'm attaining to. That's what I'm working towards. And Paul said, although I've not yet attained it, this is where I'm setting my goal. Look, um, this is the thing that I have seen as I've been walking this out. Uh, There is an increasing collaboration between heaven and earth. This is because God knows what's coming He knows his plans, and he knows how he's availed power to people to deal with what's coming on the earth. And there's a lot of evil coming on the earth, Paul. The thing is, you need supernatural power to deal with supernatural circumstances created by supernatural enemies. Enemies of God. And the thing is, when the church realizes that this is where we need to go in order to have the partnership with the realm that's going to have the resources that we need in order to confront what is coming against the earth now. Then we understand the push that God has for changing the system. He's changing it out. He's actually changing it out right now. And one of the things we see in my ministry, you know, uh, we collaborate with the angels of the Lord, like all the time. I mean, this, this is not, and people that have listened to my program, they're going to be well-versed in like, you know, some of the mechanics of how this even happens. The Bible says the angels perform his word. They hearken unto the voice of his word. You know, as we are speaking the word and collaborating with heaven, man, we partner with the realm of God and his agents on the other side of the veil. But God is wanting to bring more and more of that reality into the earth, into our experiences now. And people, I'll tell you what, they have problems that you can't even explain to people 50 years ago. (laughs) Things are moving so off the charts. But you know what? We serve an off-the-charts God, Paul. Absolutely. 
And, um, you know, I, I agree with you, you Daniel, the, 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 the constant scripture that seems to be prophetically announced, declared and discussed in the last couple of years has, has been, you know, the whole Isaiah 60, you know, arise, shine for your light has come. Um, you know, it says this, but behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness, the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. Mm. There's a shift of disposition. There's a shift of consciousness which produces a shift in revelation and empowerment. And I believe that's what's happening. Mm -mm. Wow. Paul. What are your closing thoughts at this point? My, my closing thoughts is probably an emphasis that I'm seeing. Come back to basics. Abide in Christ. Give everything you can to God. Give yourself to God. Don't hold anything back. Walk with humility. Walk to the measure of love that you have and the measure of your faith you have. And watch the grace of God empower you to places, dimensions, understanding, and situations you never thought possible. Because I believe God's lifting up his body to see things from a whole new way. And you can't do it outside of being a place of intimacy with him. Being in him means being in his heart and him being in your heart. That you may know him even as he already knows you. This was the key to Jesus' ministry. This association, this depth of moving in the presence was the key to governmental authority and heaven breaking in through the sun. And he says, what I did, even greater works are you going to do. The greater works. Wait a minute. All right, I said a closing thought, but then you said that. Paul, <laughs> come on, man. I, I was... <laughs> Hold on a second. All right. Here we go. What has God spoken to you about the greater works? Wow, that's uh, pretty interesting. I'll share a little bit. I don't want to share all of it um, because I'm still processing uh, a large amount of it. But you know, you but set yourself up work... for this, right? <laughs> <laughs> The, the, the greater works, I think, looks like something in Joel, uh, a company of people, not just an individual, that are moving in a fullness of Christ, that, is, that, are, that have allowed their life to be fully consumed by the life of Christ. And uh, I believe we're going to see in a level of anointing, a level of empowerment, uh, and a level of Christ-likeness um, that we've, we've, we've never seen. So that so Jesus in that context of John 14, I believe is talking about the miraculous signs, wonders and miracles, the government of heaven breaking in and greater works. So you see, we saw it in part in the apostolic age, of course, with um, uh, Paul, uh, Peter, we, we saw the greater works beginning. But I believe that that as Jesus was the first fruits in heaven for a body and the apostles were the first fruit into the earth for a body, you will see that which began be completed. And I think 
we, we are coming back to a reinvigoration of the apostolic and the prophetic. There's a new apostolic, there's a new prophetic. Um, that is, those gifts will be activated in the life of the church to bring us up into this greater work. Um, that will be, and I don't think that's far away. I think that's already taking place. We're already seeing uh, a, a new dimension, a, a different looking um, group of prophets that are understanding the mechanics of heaven, that are understanding the wisdom of God, that, you know, the, the Daniels of old, if you will, but they're looking different. They're a new, new covenant context. We're, we're seeing the apostolic order look different and, and, and through the metamorphosis of its old structural development, I do believe we're getting to this wineskin uh, that I've been talking about to allow the flow. It, it, what wineskin you build is crucial to the flow. What what heart you possess is crucial to the flow and the dimensions to produce the greater works. A company of people that look different, working together, moving on a different yep. level. Yep. My goodness. Folks, today we've been talking with Paul Tothill. And he is the pastor of Gateway Church in Adelaide, Australia. And you know what? You can visit him at gatewaychurch.org.au. Paul, it's been my pleasure and honor to have you as a guest on my program. Thank you for taking the time, brother. Thank you very much. It's a real privilege. Thank you, Daniel. Oh, man. Folks, until next time, God bless. And... Don't forget, join us, 7 o'clock p.m. CST at thefireplacechurch.org. We'll be there waiting for you. All right. God bless and Godspeed. Discovering the Truth with Dan DeVall is the premier radio program designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program has been a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com. At our website, you can contact us, access resources, and support us with donations. We need partners in order to continue to produce our vision, which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Partner with us and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed.